The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 25. Hello, and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. Thus far, in Act 1, Scene 3, Ophelia has barely managed to get a word in. We've picked up, almost incidentally, that she's been seeing Hamlet. Laertes knows and thinks she's silly for hoping that he'll deign to pick her, despite their father's exalted position at court, and then Polonius is blusterously angry at her for taking Hamlet seriously. We left off at the end of another of his diatribes, inflating the word tender beyond all meaning in his efforts to get his point across. Ophelia does stand up for herself, and for Hamlet, explaining that his behaviour has been sincere and appropriate. My lord, he hath importuned me with love in honourable fashion. But, yet again, Polonius twists her words, this time taking up fashion. Aye, fashion you may call it. Go to, go to. Just as he reframed the words affection and tender earlier, now he pounces on fashion. Ophelia hadn't meant much by it, but he definitely twists it into its meaning of passing fancy or a toy in blood, just like Laertes mentioned way earlier in the scene. But Ophelia isn't giving up, and she continues. And hath given countenance to his speech, my lord, with almost all the holy vows of heaven. It seems Hamlet hasn't just been messing around. He's backed up his attentions, given them countenance, with all the holy vows of heaven. Hamlet has certainly made Ophelia believe that he's sincere and that she's not just some plaything. Ophelia has probably grown up listening to her brother and her father telling her not to trust men, so she surely must know by now not to be taken in, and has probably put Hamlet through his paces in full knowledge that the other men in her life would be grilling her on the subject. Nevertheless, Polonius has little faith. As for Hamlet's holy vows, he's not at all convinced, and he retorts, Aye, springs to catch woodcocks. They're little more than traps to catch notoriously silly birds. Woodcocks appear in several other Shakespeare plays as examples of an easy mark. And some of the more notable woodcocks in other plays appear in Twelfth Night and All's Well That Ends Well. Laertes himself will use the same metaphor of the woodcock and the spring, or trap, later in the play. Now Polonius goes back to fatherly advice mode and gives his daughter yet another lecture. I do know, when the blood burns, how prodigal the soul lends the tongue vows. These blazes, daughter, give more light than heat, extinct in both. Even in their premise, as it is a making, you must not take for fire. From this time be somewhat scanter of your maiden presence. Set your entreatments at a higher rate than a command to parley. For Lord Hamlet, believe so much in him that he is young, and with a larger tether may he walk than may be given you. In few, Ophelia, do not believe his vows, for they are brokers, not of that dye which their investments show, but mere implorators of unholy suits, breathing like sanctified and pious bawds, the better to beguile. Now, This section is a little convoluted, so we'll break it down and see where Polonius is going with it. 
He starts off reasonably clearly and acknowledges that when passion is coursing through a young man, he can be very generous or prodigal with his promises. He alights on a rather lovely image, then, of how Hamlet's holy vows, as Ophelia sees them, are blazes which give off more light than heat. Rather like lightning, they blaze brightly, but in a flash they're gone, and no lasting warmth comes from them. They are extinct of light and heat even before they're finished being made, these promises, and Ophelia must not take them for fire. These blazes, daughter, giving more light than heat, extinct in both, even in their promise, as it is a making you must not take for fire. Polonius then gives more specific instructions to Ophelia. He would be happier henceforth if she was a little less generous with her time, since she is a virgin and should be therefore looked after. He uses rather military language to suggest that Ophelia should not show her hand. She should not give Hamlet whatever he wants, just because he asks for it, and she shouldn't always agree to a parley, which is a meeting between armies trying to negotiate. Instead, she should leave Hamlet wanting more, and not always make herself available to him. From this time, be somewhat scanter of your maiden presence. Set your entreatments at a higher rate than a command to parley. Polonius then moves on to Hamlet. He indirectly likens both of the young people to livestock, explaining that Hamlet is allowed to graze on a wider area of land than Ophelia herself. This is rather extraordinary and maybe even unwitting insight into how the young people are viewed by Polonius and his political colleagues. Are they really just lambs being reared for the slaughter? For Lord Hamlet, believe so much in him that he is young and with a larger tether may he walk than may be given you. Now Polonius's matter gets a little more convoluted. Ironically, he begins by saying in few, but of course he's the perfect example of the kind of person who loves to say, let me be brief, and then does nothing of the sort. His point here is that she should not believe Hamlet's vows. They are brokers, eagerly trying to make the case for what Hamlet really wants, which is sexual favours, at least in Polonius's version of events. These brokers do not show their true colours because they are asking for unholy suits, in comparison with, of course, what Ophelia thinks are holy vows of heaven. So instead they act or breathe like sanctified and pious bawds, which are brothel keepers who act holy and virtuous despite the fact of the reality of their line of business. They may act like good honest folk, but it's all the better to beguile and seduce and sell what they're trying to get, just like Hamlet's holy vows. In few, Ophelia, do not believe his vows, for they are brokers, not of that dye which their investments show, but mere implorators of unholy suits, breathing, like sanctified and pious boards, the better to beguile. It's a little bit crunchy, but I think Shakespeare's having fun here. He's creating a character who likes the idea of oratory, but has a tendency to lose the thread of his ideas a little bit. Shakespeare peppers this speech with a few words that he's made up himself. Entreatment is one of them, and investment as a word for clothing. Finally, at last, Polonius draws to his conclusion. He tells Ophelia once and for all that she must not bring a single minute of her free time into disrepute, by spending it on or with Hamlet. 
There's to be no more talking to him, or indeed trading words in any other format. Polonius is clearly aware that the two have been trading letters or notes or love tokens or something as well. This for all. I would not, in plain terms, from this time forth, have you so slander any moment leisure as to give words or talk with the Lord Hamlet. And that's more or less the end of the scene. Father has spoken. As is so often the case, Shakespeare provides the means to keep the scene moving and gives a helpful pair of exit lines for the performers to clear the stage, as we will be changing location once again now that the scene is ending. Polonius blusters three connected commands to Ophelia. I'm trying to resist the urge to call her poor Ophelia every time I mention her, because despite a bright and sparkling start to the scene, she's almost unrelentingly put upon by the men in her life. Polonius is moving on to next business. Look to it. I charge you. Come your ways. Command, command, command. At very least, poor, or otherwise, Ophelia gets to have the last word. I shall obey, my lord. We don't see her now for a few scenes, and when we next do see her, we'll see the effect of her imposed breakup with Hamlet. For now, we've come to the end of Act 1, Scene 3. As promised, there will be a bonus episode coming up this week to mark the fact that we have completed another scene in the play. There are also a few changes coming up on the website. I'm going to make some new pages for the full text of each scene that we have finished and hopefully make it accessible then that you can find a link within the scene for the episode that connects to it. As ever, I want to thank you for listening. And this week, I want to give a special shout out to Greeley, Colorado, where it seems a lot of people are tuning in. I'm really grateful that you take the time to listen to this show and I hope you're continuing to enjoy the project in general. If you are, and you're feeling generous, you can always give us a rating in iTunes, which is a brilliant way to boost the show's profile and get even more people involved. As ever, I love hearing from you, whether on Facebook or on Twitter or at the website, thehamletpodcast.com.